There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. Drive live. Talks legal. And we're joined in the studio today by our regular guest, the lovely Ludmilla Yamalova from Yamalova and Pleska. Ludmilla, how are you? Trying to stay cool. I cannot believe it's still not letting go. The no. heat that is. Yes, yeah. it is. It is quite warm. I escaped for a few days over Eid. Did you manage to take such a break? Or uh, I did, I did, but I, I think I also managed about a three-minute walk today, and it was tough. Yeah, <laughs> it's hot, isn't it? Yeah, Still. <laughs> but it, we're getting in the right direction. We hope so. In a few weeks, I hope we can walk more comfortably. Yeah, when it, during my birthday, it's normally okay here, which is was a month yesterday. So we're getting towards the time that it's going to be all right. Definitely. Much, much welcome. Yes, I can't wait. So, Lude Miller, we've got lots of questions in for you already. Mm. Um, but just a reminder, if you do want to get a question to Lude Miller as well, you can do it on the day and you can text us for 001 or via the free messaging app if you want to call her, because I know lots of people do sometimes prefer to call. Uh, it's 04-871-5500. So 04-871-5500, the lovely Esther is next door. She's waving, ready and waiting to answer the calls and put you through. So if you have, particularly when it comes to legal stuff, sometimes you need a bit yeah. more of an explanation. It's a bit more involved. So happy to take the call. 04871 So Emma, you have question number one there yeah, for Miller. I do. This is one that was uh, sent to me. A bit, of, a bit of an awkward situation. So basically there's a lady who's, uh, she's been looking for outside work due to this scenario. The company that she's currently sponsored by and that she's worked for have given her an NOC to work somewhere else until her visa runs out in January. The company is saying they can't afford to pay the cancellation fees. She's been to the Ministry of Labour. Um, she's under the impression she can't force the company to pay her. Um, it's a commercial shop that uh, she's been working for. But they'll give her an NOC which allows her to work for someone else while she's still on their visa. She says there are 14 employees in total who have been told they have to wait till January until their visas run out and they won't get paid until them. This sounds like a, a terrible situation. Uh, well, it is a terrible situation and it's also quite a multifaceted situation. There are a few legal concepts here that are separate concepts. Mm. One, for example, is the employment relationship and the other one is the immigration or the residential relationship and that's something else uh, or the residence or other relationship and that is related to the visa. So in, in fact, uh, while I know for the majority of us, uh, who are non-Emiratis, the employment and residence visas usually um, come hand in hand, but they are actually, legally speaking, two separate relationships. So therefore, uh, the company's obligation uh, to pay the salary is not in any way should be linked to the expiration of the residence visa, for example. I mean, that's sort of just one comment. But in general... Uh, let me just kind of parse out the the, the question itself. So, one, uh, the advice that, that this particular lady received from the Ministry of Labor um, about not being able to force the company to pay is is um, it, perhaps it relates to the Ministry of Labor itself because it doesn't really have the authority to force the company to pay because that's not the right authority to start with. Well, it's actually it's the right authority to start with, but it's not the ultimate authority who actually has the authority to force a company to do anything. Uh, so what uh, the, the the authority who can do that, who has that authority, is the actual the courts. So you start with the Ministry of Labor, you file a claim with the Ministry of Labor, and then from there the claim gets transferred to the courts. And then it's in ultimately the courts do have the authority to force the company to pay. Uh, 
So it's not true just because the company doesn't have financial or at least allegedly does not have financial ability to pay that somehow there is no one has the authority to make them pay. Um, so the courts have the authority. So the the proper protocol is to actually go you start with the Ministry of Labor and then you move your case along to the uh, to the um, labor court. And then ultimately, what this comes uh, comes down to is the payment of a salary and any other end of employment. Uh, benefits such as the end of service benefits, for example, notice period, perhaps arbitrary dismissal, what vacation, whatever other commission bonuses that might be unpaid. So that's what it becomes. It becomes a claim about employment benefits in connection with ultimately termination of employment. Now, just because so the company doesn't have money, um, and that's it, it's this more of a practical side of the story. And that, but legally speaking, they're still required. This, this is their mm-hmm. obligation. So, practically, if they don't have money, I mean, that's something else. And here, this is where it makes sense for anyone who would otherwise be contemplating of proceeding with a court case to weigh the the, sort of the risks and benefits of proceeding with a court case. As an employee, in fact, as long as your claim is below a hundred thousand dirhams, you don't have to pay a court fee. Um, so, it's it's a fairly inexpensive process for employees to file a claim. How much? Sorry. Uh-huh. Below a hundred thousand dirhams okay. is an employee's filing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is no there's no court fee, uh, but still you need to cl- plead your claim or plead plead your case, and you are not required to have a, a legal uh, an advocate to represent you. But obviously everything is in Arabic, so you do still at least in the very least need to work um, through a, a legal translator. But ultimately, it's a fairly simple case, uh, and it's basically I worked for the company. I do not receive, for example, salary for whatever period of time. Uh, and then apart from the salary, you obviously the company is now closing doors because it's unable to pay. So it amounts to what um, is otherwise known as constructive dismissal. So even if the company did not officially say we're terminating you, mm-hmm. but if they're not paying you, that means that they're not in a position to pay you. So they are constructively terminating you. So Basically, it's a fairly, in legal terms, a fairly simple legal case, which is I have been terminated. Now I need to get paid the dues that I'm otherwise entitled to by way of either unpaid salary or any other end of service uh, um, benefits. Uh, so it's a legally speaking, it's a le- it's a fairly simple case, but you do need to do something about it. It's nobody else is going to argue a case unless you should do it yourself. And and the ultimate decision, and this is where it's important to weigh the risks and benefits, is that. You may have this court judgment and you will have the court judgment at the end that's in your favor. But if you truly know that the company does not have money to pay, then ultimately you're chasing the rainbow. Because mm-hmm. even with a court judgment, if the, the court has no assets or is not, is not able to reach any assets of that company uh, to settle the judgment, then it's just it's just another piece of paper that unfortunately will not yield any kind of commercial benefit to, uh, to the employees. And what about the, this visa issue where the company is saying they can't afford to cancel their visas so that these 14 employees are going to have to wait till they expire? <laughs> Well, the visa cancellation, its there isn't really, usually when you cancel a visa, in fact, you get a refund mm. For, mm. for the visa because there's always every employee um, has a refund that's sort of attached to that particular case file. So, in fact, it doesn't really, it's not, it doesn't make sense uh, mm. that the company doesn't have money yeah. to, to cancel a visa because actually they will receive money back. Uh, that's one. And two, even upon visa expiration, first of all, I would be surprised if all of these visas expire at the same time. They're probably kind of staggered at different times. But even then, it's not that the company doesn't 
person have responsibility you know, to pay, for example, if, if they're late in, in canceling the visa or they're late in renewing the visa, they will, the obligation to pay will continue. Um, so it's, it doesn't sound like it's a legitimate claim. It's just it's more about them kind of buying themselves time to, um, to figure out either how to close down the shop or mm. how to perhaps restructure their current business. Uh, but that particular element does not really does not really sort of make sense to me. Uh, so what the, what I would recommend for these employees is just to uh, ultimately we know the company's not doing well. Uh, so unless they can find un- unless they a benefit from being on this residence visa, the company's residence visa, and let's face it, a lot of people do prefer to be to be just to, to stay in this country. So a, they, they, they benefit from staying on the visa, and B, uh, they can source another employment in the meantime and get paid, then perhaps in practical terms, you'd be more practical, um, stay stay through this this period of time, uh, because if, if you know that a company truly does not have money to pay, mm-hmm. at least you can per- perhaps find alternative employment. But if you don't think that this is true, then the better way of proceeding is to for this group of people to come together, but and but separately file mm. cases with the la- uh, with the with the labor court and put the company on the defensive and and then let the company basically battle it out in court and prove to the court that they do not have money or um, you know, or or f- enforce them to actually do something about it because right now it sounds like they're dictating the terms and uh, uh, and and perhaps uh, misleading the employees about what they what they can and cannot do for them in the long run okay that was the the next part i was going to ask you but you've answered that because there's 14 of them obviously they need to all be on the same page but you are individually responsible for putting your case forward and that's an important uh, comment to highlight uh, and that is that in the uae there is no right of collective action yeah so even though you're 14 people finding themselves you yourselves in the same situation you cannot bring uh, one claim uh, but it's it's going to basically legally speaking going to be the same claim so you certainly can benefit from just working together in terms of identifying how to do it yeah and and what to claim drive live talks legal we are talking legal this afternoon. Our guest, Ludmilla Yamalova from Yamalova and Plethka, and we're answering your questions. Don't forget, if you have a question, you want to get in touch, Emma, lots of ways to do so. Yeah, so you can do. You can um, give us a call. The telephone number for you there is... 871-5500. Thank you. For, uh, you can SMS 4001 or use the Dubai iFree app, as always. Okay, so we have a few more questions for you here, Ludmilla. This next one says, uh, I work for a company in IMPZ in Dubai. I resigned on the 23rd of June and the last day of working was a month later, 22nd of July 2018. My employer has not paid two months salary and gratuity till end date. The company have forcefully asked me to sign the cancellation paper and my visa was cancelled on the 16th of August. I have an email from the vice president of the company dated the 24th of August confirming my settlements will be paid soon and they mention in my settlement calculation that my dues will be paid upon visa cancellation as per their company policy. Few other employees have left recently and the management followed the same process, visa cancellation first and then the settlement of dues. Can you advise me on how I can get my rights? So basically what this person is saying is they have their visa cancelled already and there's a lot of misconceptions here that once that's happened, you can't get the money that you're owed. Indeed, and it's a, it's a good summary uh, and to and to start with, and that is uh, in the, the reason there's that misconception exists right now is because as part of the visa cancellation process, there is a document that employees are required to sign 
without which the company cannot, in most cases, proceed with visa cancellation. And that is, among other things, this document says that I have received all dues. Um, so, and this is why a lot of employees believe that uh, once they've signed the document, they basically waive their right. Uh, and, and so if they didn't receive their dues by that point in time, but they've signed off that they received their dues, therefore they've ultimately lost their right. And I think that's probably one of the sort of main questions that the listener here is asking. <clears throat> and so, but it's not, it, it, I guess sort of on the surface of it, it may seem to be reasonable to, to interpret it that way. But in fact, uh, it's a fairly, there's a fairly clear uh, legal stance on how the courts in this country and any other country would sort of would deal with an issue like that. And that is when you sign, I have received all dues, obviously then if you have not received your dues, then mm-hmm. therefore you, that particular undertaking is not correct. So uh, so if you can show that you have not received the dues or, you know, it's sort of proving the negative, but ultimately you would allege the court that in fact you have not received the dues and it would be on the, the company's burden to prove you otherwise, but if you they have not paid you, therefore, that you have not received those dues. So just because you have signed the document, you do not be worried. You have not waived the right. You, mm-hmm. That that particular obligation only becomes an obligation once you have actually received all your dues. Um, so just the, the the document itself and your signature to it should not deter you from actually pers- uh, pursuing your right. So that was one part of the question. The other one. So what what can you do now that <clears throat> that has happened? And that is um, uh, your visa has been canceled, but you have not yet been paid. Now, there are other parts to it is just that the company says this is their policy about um, signing off, canceling the visa first and then paying later. Well, company policy is just that. It's nothing more than just a company policy. It's, it's you know, it's, it's a contractual kind of arrangement. It's a voluntary thing. So you don't have to abide by it. So there's a comment from the listener saying that. They were forcefully uh, sort of, you know, they were forced to signing it. And I just want to make it very clear for all the listeners that no one should feel forced to sign. I mean, obviously, unless it's a, it's it's with the authority somewhere, and then you've done something wrong. But otherwise, mm. you should not feel if you don't want to sign, nobody can forcefully sign you. Physically, they cannot force you to sign. It's actually a criminal offense if they physically force you to do something. Um, so, but that. As I say that, I know of many, many, many people of very different um, different roles in companies, including very senior people that under certain uh, under similar circumstances do feel pressured um, and, and they do sign the document because they feel intimidated. Uh, so and um, but you don't, don't you don't need to feel that it doesn't matter what yeah. position the company is you, if if you don't feel comfortable do not sign it and the company cannot forcefully uh, force you to do so. That being said, in a particular case, the the person did sign off on this and now is waiting um, to still be paid. <clears throat> At the, the company can choose that policy of canceling. You don't have to agree to it, but if you, in this case, since you already signed, you ultimately have agreed uh, for them to, to kind of follow that particular uh, process. So now your only recourse, because there are two recourses, one is just wait it out, and mm. if the vice president says that you will be paid, then ultimately you should be paid. It sounds like it's you know, only a few days have passed, and you just need to stay vigilant and, and um, assertive, making sure that... You know, too much time doesn't pass before you get paid, uh, so um, so they don't forget about you, especially since it sounds like they're going through a kind of a, a mass restructuring yeah. uh, process. Um, so that's that's one. And then ultimately, if you don't get paid, 
then your only recourse uh, to enforce your right, which is sort of ultimately what you're asking, is once again the court. So the only authority um, here or in any other country in most situations uh, that has the authority to force somebody to do something or to, or has the authority to help you enforce your rights um, is, is the court. So here, if you don't get paid your, your settlement, then go to the labor court, file a case with them. And once again, you do not need a a local advocate or a lawyer to represent you. It's a fairly simple case. You just bring your contract. You show how much, how long you worked, uh, what your entitlements, uh, your sort of your, your calculation of your entitlements, and um, it's a fairly simple process from there on. Um, so that's your that's your next recourse. But obviously, it's still it's still time consuming and it still sort of requires your involvement in the process. And if you don't speak Arabic, it's it becomes more challenging. So if you can just wait it out and amicably settle with the employer. Um, then I would recommend that you use that as sort of your priority strategy. Okay, we've had a text come in about a commission. Ludmilla, this, uh, there's no name on this one as well. It says, hi, in a commission-based sales job, is your gratuity based on the base salary or commission? And this is in a free zone. This is a question we see quite regularly, isn't it, Ludmilla, about uh, the, the, the gratuity depending on when you work in, in a commission-related role? Yeah, so let, let me break that question into two parts. One is how you calculate gratuity, and then two, whether the rule that applies to calculating gratuity differs between free zones and non-free zone companies. Uh, so with respect to uh, gratuity, it's it's a settled principle in not just in in Dubai but all over the UAE that uh, commission is part of your base salary, so basic salary. In fact, uh, the this the very the long history of, if you will, I don't want to say confusion, but perhaps perhaps misunderstanding in terms of what. Um, uh, what defines basic salary has um, uh, often been sort of referred to uh, the language of the law in the law itself. But in fact, the language is fairly, I mean, to me, perhaps, or maybe I'm a little biased, it's fairly clear because it says basic salary is any, everything other than allowances. Okay, anything that's uh, basically of monetary value other than allowances. Now, commission is not allowance. So, mm. in fact, because a lot of people say, well, no, 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 no. The law does not say that commission is part of the basic salary. The law refers to basic salary. And it's and the confusion comes from, in most contracts, it, there's there's the, the, those phrases, the basic salary, and then there's the allowances. So people can hang on to that phrase of basic salary and then the phrase of basic salary in the law and kind of equating, to, uh, equating them to one another. But that's incorrect because... The the um, the proper definition, and it's been confirmed by courts over and over again, is that the basic salary is anything other than allowances. So, a commission is not an allowance, bonus is not an allowance, and as long as it's regular, uh, it is it becomes part of the uh, of the basic salary. Now, how do you calculate basic salary or sort of average basic salary? When it's you're, you're paid on commission perhaps every quarter or you, it's it's not a monthly kind of commission. So the courts would look at the average. And usually the average is about six months. Um, mm. So it, it sort of in short. Uh, so they would look at whatever it is you got paid over the last six months and will add your commission to your basic salary. They would still subtract the allowances. Uh, and the allowances are usually the housing allowances, the the car allowances, uh, food and transportation, but anything other than that. So they would add the commission to your basic salary as stated, stated in the contract or as you were actually receiving. Um, and they will use that um, as your as your base salary. 
And yeah. so, so that's one. Now, the second part of the question is whether uh, whether the same rule applies in free zones. Yes, uh, because what we're talking about is employment law, and employment law is federal law. And uh, federal law, other than the DIFC courts and the DIFC or the DFC companies or DFC employees, um, the federal law applies to all companies and all employees equally, irrespective of whether they're in the free zone, in free zones or outside of the free zones, unless certain free zones or contracts uh, give employees better benefits than what um, what is provided for in the in the law. So if the law, for example, says we'll take your full salary as your basic salary, including the allowances, then the court will not vary that. Yeah. But they will only um, they will only step in if you if there are sort of attempts of taking away your benefits, but any additional benefits then basically the car, the company is bound by them. So Ludmilla, we got a follow up question uh, on this gratuity, and it basically says, "Hi Ludmilla, on the same topic of gratuity, does this apply to the annual discretionary bonus? So lots of people lucky enough to still get those. Um, is it possible that this uh, gratuity could also be based on that because it's not?" seen as an allowance, perhaps? Uh, well, there's an interesting, I guess, contradiction in, in a way or dichotomy in terms of just the phrasing annual discretionary bonus. And that is a phrase that exists very, very commonly in, um, in, in this part of the world in terms of employment relationships. But if you actually dissect it, annual and discretionary, so if, you know, annual usually means, annual in, it means it's regular, Discretionary means it's discretionary, so it's irregular, uh, in other words. Uh, and so um, in most cases, if, um, if you receive a salary on an annual basis, or, or not a salary, a bonus on an annual basis, and it's more or less the same amount, then it becomes regular. Now, why it's, the, the question of discretionary always comes up is because in a lot of companies' policies uh, and, and handbooks, uh, it will describe that bonus as discretionary. And yet, every year, the, the company pays a, you know, more or less the same amount of a bonus uh, to the employee uh, without any kind of substantiation as to how it was calculated. Because discretionary usually means, well, it's either based on the company's performance or based on your own performance, but there's some kind of, uh, some kind of reasoning behind it. Uh, and so companies continue to hold on to the phrasing in their own policy books, always oh, discretionary. But unless it's truly discretionary and, and unless every time when the, you pay that bonus, there is some kind of a formula that's attached to it, mm. then the courts view them as not so discretionary, but mm. other regular bonuses. So that's what really comes down to. So let's say, to go back to the listener, if you've been receiving for the last three years an um, annual bonus at the end of the year, let's say 20,000 dirhams, and, um, and uh, then, then that becomes part of your regular bonus that the courts would look at and add on to your, uh, to your monthly salary for, the salary for the purposes of averaging your monthly salary uh, and for, you know, in connection with calculating your, calculating your end of service. Uh, and that is irrespective of what the company documents would say. And, and we see this all the time. The companies would argue, but hang on, hang on. This is still discretionary. Well, the courts don't really care as long as you've been paying this on, an, on a regular basis without any kind of specific formula, then it's really not discretionary. It's basically an entitlement. And the idea here is that if the employee has a reasonable expectation of receiving that on a regular basis, then, well, it's no longer discretionary. It becomes part of the regular bonus. Okay. okay. There's a couple of things that go hand in hand with this. So, um just while we're talking about gratuity, if you're terminated for non-performance, are you still entitled to gratuity, Ludmilla? Uh, in short, uh, well, so it's it's a bit of a loaded question. So what is termination uh, for non-performance? 
uh, a lot of companies will terminate uh, someone for non-performance and, um, uh, and, 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 and sort of use that as an excuse uh, to not pay certain kinds of benefits. Uh, there's two types of non-performance termination, if you will. So one, if you're being terminated for under Article 120, and that's called basically, it's Article 120, basically gross, um, gross breach of either responsibilities or some kind of some, some, some gross conduct or misconduct. Then under, uh, under under that particular article, so if you are terminated under Article 120, then you lose a lot of your benefits. You lose your gratuity. Uh, you lose your uh, your what else? Um, I mean, actually, just basically a notice. So you lose your gratuity, you lose your notice, and you lose your, for example, if, if you were otherwise being entitled to an arbitrary dismissal. Um, so what you do still get is you get paid your salary for the time you actually paid, uh, um, uh, worked, and um, your leave salary, if whatever, uh, untaken leave. Uh, so and that's article uh, under Article 120. But in order to um, uh, to be terminated under Article 120 and therefore deprive you of those benefits, there's a very high threshold in terms of what the company must do yeah. to terminate somebody under uh, uh, Article 120 for gross um, misconduct. And I will tell you, uh, until this day, I have seen very, very, very few cases where the companies have actually been able to reach that threshold. Uh, and so the law, the way the law is drafted in sort of very simple terms is that the company has to notify you uh, of your m- misconduct and has to give you reasonable time to uh, perform, to, to basically correct your performance. Uh, and um, and then you also need to have some sort of, there has to be some acknowledgement that you've actually received that notice and that there's, the, you know, that the notice actually had some merit to it. Uh, so it's a fairly high threshold because of it. And so in other words, you can't just the company cannot say, well, you had your target for the last six months. You didn't meet the, those targets for the last six months. Therefore, we give you two mo- two weeks to fix your performance. And if you don't, we terminate you under Article 120. So that will not qualify. So if you've been terminated under one, uh, Article 120, yes, you would lose your gratuity and your notice. Uh, but once again, that's a very, very high threshold, which most companies do not meet. Now, you can still be terminated for valid reason. <clears throat> and that is, um, let's say, if you're not performing, uh, but it's it's not gross misconduct. It's just you're not performing up to the company's expectations. In that case, you can be terminated, and uh, there is depending on whether you have a limited or unlimited contract. If you have an unlimited contract, um, then the the company, depending on you, know, basically the company may be able to avoid paying uh, some of your. Uh, some of your notice appear, uh, or some of the, some of the arbitrary dismissal. You, the company is still required to pay you for your end of service, and for your and even the notice period. So unless it's gross misconduct, you still have to. You're still entitled to your notice period, and to your um, and to your end of service, and uh, you, and and there's and potentially may even be entitled for arbitrary dismissal, even in unlimited contracts. In limited contracts, you will always be entitled to all of those elements. And the idea is that well, you know, it's just you're being terminated because otherwise you're being terminated because. You, if you're performing better, you wouldn't have been terminated. But still, because you have earned these benefits, you have earned your salary, and you have worked for the company for X number of years, um, therefore you have already earned your end of service and you have earned your notice. And so they are not allowed to deprive you of those benefits. Okay. Um, just very quick question, this one. If an employee takes his or her employer to court and the court finds the employer is in the wrong, is the employer liable for court and legal fees incurred by the employee? 
so here, two things. Um, there is the court fees and there's legal fees. Uh, and that that's one thing. The other one is that employee taking the court, uh, the employer to court. Uh, if the employee is taking the uh, the employer to, to court, if the claim is below 100,000 dirhams, there are no court fees that the employee will have to pay. And the, and the employer unless will not have to pay any court fees unless they counterclaim. Uh, so let's say the employer, as, as part of whatever the, the case or retaliation tactic, they may reclaim some kind of uh, payments to the employer, so f- uh, to the employee. So in that case, they would have to pay court fees um, of their own. Uh, so therefore, but if the employee did not have to pay the court fees, then ultimately when the case is won in favor of the employee, there's, there are no fees to sort of compensate or reimburse the employee because they never paid anything. Now, the, if the claim is above the 100000 then actually the employee did have to pay the court fees, and then the court finds um, in favor of the employee, yes. In that case, the... Uh, the, uh, the the losing party, i.e. the company here, would have to compensate uh, the employee for the court fees and um, expert fees and yeah. basically any other sort of court-related fees, but not translation fees. And that's just that's the usual rule, and that's kind of a default claim in most of the cases. So the court award um, the co- compensation of, of uh, court fees, reimbursement of court fees to the uh, uh, to the winning party. However, legal fees are different from court fees. Legal fees, in short and in relevant terms, uh, they are not reimbursable in this country. So, therefore, you know, those ones basically are just the cost that you have to accept. Okay. Um, someone's come back about gratuity and allowances and extra. And basically, the query that we had was if it was a bonus, would that matter? Now, we talked about allowances being separate. So, this person says, um, the housing in their salary, uh, the school uh, flights are all separate allowances, but there is an extra allowance and it's around 75% of their base salary. And the term that's used is supplementary allowance. Would this fall under gratuity? Uh, it's a great question. We've seen many cases like this. In short, the courts are not blind. I mean, they know exactly if, if this, uh, these other allowances are 75% of your overall monthly compensation, what else could it be mm. uh, other than either salary or commission or commission or bonus or something? So, the, yes, in short, the court would look at that um, so-called other allowance um, as part of your basic salary. And the general rule is, and the courts have clearly come out and said this many, many times over, so it's not it's not the language um, that, uh, that prevails. It's the, it's, it's the meaning and the practice mm. behind it. So uh, it doesn't matter how you call it. Um, if it's if it's not an allowance, it's not an allowance, even if you call it so. So there Therefore, in this particular case, it would be part of the basic salary. Okay, hopefully that answers your question. That's all we've got time for. Lots of questions we didn't get to today, but stay tuned. Lude Miller will be back next week. And if we miss your question this week, we'll get to it next week. Lude Miller, thank you so much for your time. Always a pleasure. There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com.